Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoma, and I'm Ryan Aber, your host. Joined by columnists Barry Trammell and Jenny Carlson, we are back in Oklahoma now uh, after uh, a couple of us were at, at AT&T Stadium for the Big 12 championship game on Saturday uh, at uh, Jerry World, where Oklahoma defeated Iowa State 27-21. Uh, to And today we find out that the Sooners are heading right back to Arlington uh, to play in the Cotton Bowl uh, in just 10 days, December 30th where they play uh, an SEC opponent, Florida. Uh, Jenny, let's jump right into this. Uh, first impressions hearing uh, the Sooners' bowl matchup. Well, you know, I was, uh, was kind of with everybody else thinking it would be Texas A&M. You know, we've uh, obviously seen a bit of Texas A&M during the bowl season, even since they left the Big 12. I saw them last year when they played OSU down in Houston. So, uh, you know, uh, and obviously the Johnny Manziel Aggies were a, a, a Sooner opponent uh, several years back. So A&M has been a, a team that, you know, both our state teams have seen in a bowl season, and I kind of thought that would be the case again. But Florida's an interesting team, obviously. I mean, uh, you know, they've uh, had that almost inexplicable loss to LSU. Uh, you know, not a good LSU team this year, but then – you know, after falling behind big to Alabama in the SEC title game, really gave them a run for their money. So, you know, a quarterback in uh, Kyle Trask that, you know, I suspect will be at the Heisman ceremony here in a few weeks. Um, sounds like that he's not going to have one of his biggest targets as tight end has uh, decided he is not going to play in the bowl game. So, you know, they're not going to be uh, exactly the same team, but definitely a, a, a good opponent and one that, one that the Sooners don't see a ton. So maybe there adds a little bit of uh, intrigue there. Yeah, that, w- that will be interesting. The Sooners and the Gators have only played once before after the uh, 2008 season played in the BCS uh, championship game down in Miami. Uh, Barry, you were at that game, right? I was indeed. Um, uh, Dan Mullen's swan song. Yeah, for, uh, uh, you know what? I don't. I don't think our good friend Jacko was there because I think it was like two days before her wedding, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. <laughs> Am Which, I right about that? I think I'm correct. right about that. And as you guys know, when you schedule a wedding, you do it many moons out. And I knew that there was a <laughs> chance the Sooners might be playing, or somebody from our fair state might be playing for a championship, but. Scheduled it anyway, and then yes, they were uh, they were playing the uh, Tim Tebow in reserve Florida Gators for the BCS national championship. Well, if if Jenny's wedding was was then, then I can tell you what I was doing that week, which is covering the uh, McGinnis Invitational, because <laughs> I I'm pretty sure I went. Brandon Chapman and I went straight from the championship game of that tournament to your wedding. So yes. <laughs> Do you, what do you remember about that BCS game, Barry? I remember the uh, Sooners got down on the goal line twice and didn't score. And that was the difference in a 
what was it, 24-14 final, I think. Um, yeah, 24-14 final. So if, you know, if Sooners take care of business on the goal line, now, you know, both teams were missing great players, but one of the OU players out was DeMarco Murray. DeMarco showed that he had some acumen around the goal line. He could have made a big difference. You know, I've often wondered what how, how uh, the history of college football would have been changed if OU would have won that game. Bob Stoops would have had a, another national title. He'd have back, been back to being big game Bob. The SEC avalanche that started two years earlier with the 06 Florida championship and the 07 LSU, then finally 08 Florida. You know, if, if somebody had stopped it early, like the Sooners down in Miami, does the SEC juggernaut explode the way it, does, it did? So I thought that was a fairly seminal championship game compared compared to a lot of them. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting one, and we'll get more into the matchup uh, here in a little bit between Florida and Oklahoma, but let's go back to, to Saturday's Big 12 <coughs> championship game, and uh, – Jenny, once again, you know, as we've sort of come to expect with this team, uh, the the Sooners defense was the one that uh, pulled it out and and carried the load. Yeah, you know, it was a it was a great game. We were I, I actually rode home with uh, Scott Wright, who primarily covers OSU football for us, but was uh, in Arlington uh, helping out. And you know, we were we were listening to some of the recap stuff, and then we uh, we caught some. Uh, of the of the night championship games, but in the course of sort of listening to what had happened elsewhere and reflecting on what we'd seen, you know, I think at one point we both just kind of were like, that was a really fun game. You know, you really, uh, I don't know if you were, if you were pulling from one side or the other, if it was all that fun. I'm sure Sooner fans were uh, uh, a bit worried <laughs> for a good chunk of the fourth quarter. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, it, obviously, Iowa State folks, uh, you know, co- having to come from far behind, probably some trepidation for them. But as far as entertainment goes, it was a really entertaining game. And you're right, Ryan. I mean, the fact that OU's offense in the first half, you know, had some wrinkles, uh, Spencer Rattler playing great, um, you know, not only moving the ball, but scoring. Uh, just, a, you know, you got to halftime and you thought, how's Iowa State going to score with these guys? You know, it just felt like almost an insurmountable deficit already. And uh, then the OU offense quit scoring. You know, they just they, – they really struggled uh, during the second half for a fairly long stretch. But the defense held, held pretty tight. You know, they, they did give up some points, obviously. Um, but, you know, I think – when it came down to it, obviously there at the end, they got the big interception. They had three interceptions on the day. Um, you know, some, some plays that when this season looked like it might go sideways pretty badly, this defense wasn't making those plays. And so to see them step up, uh, you know, get some stops, get some great pressure on Brock Purdy, really make him um, work pretty much every time he uh, he had the ball in his hands. You know, I just thought – I thought front to back the defense was uh, was really, really good yesterday. Yeah, and Barry, um, you had a little bit different perspective uh, watching it from Norman, but um, obviously the interceptions get a lot of attention. Trey Brown's, especially there at the end, the kickoff returns from Trey Brown. Uh, Ronnie Perkins with the sacks and uh, Asamoah was in on on one of those. 
But I, I thought Perrion Winfrey, who doesn't show up on the stat sheet at all, the only place that he shows up really is uh, getting called for the face mask on a potential sack. But I thought Perrion Winfrey was just fantastic there in the middle for OU's uh, defensive front really uh, forcing Brock Purdy to scramble around and, and playing a big role in slowing down Brees Hall as well. Yeah, they, they, Iowa State just couldn't block Perry on Winfrey. Perkins and Benito and those guys got a lot of the sizzle and, and a lot of the stats, but, but Winfrey, uh, Winfrey was sort of the uh, disruptor. Uh, he had a couple of shots at, at Purdy, didn't finish him out. But still, he was he was the guy that sort of really just uh, disrupted that Iowa State offense. Now, to the Cyclones' credit, they found a way to persevere and score at the end of the third quarter and score in the fourth quarter and game on. Lincoln and his offense had a great first half. Not so much the longer the game went. You know, in one span of six possessions, OU went five three and outs. And um, – the Iowa State defense really got a beat on the on the OU offense. <clears throat> but when the Sooners needed to drive the ball near the end, they did. Made two or three first downs. Braden Wells had a fantastic catch and then a tackle-breaking run for another first down and set up a field goal that was very, very important. So, um, you know, I got, a, I got several emails from, from disgruntled OU fans wanting to know what's wrong with Lincoln's offense and – you know, sooner should have won bigger and all that. And I point out to them, OU went on, uh, went to a neutral field and beat the number six team in America and dominated part of the game and then, and then made enough plays at the end to win it. That should not be coming away shaking your head. That should be a celebration. Iowa State's legit. They've got a really good team. And for the Sooners to go down to Arlington and, and uh, win – a sixth straight Big 12 championship. To me, it was it was a uh, an excellent an excellent day at the office for Oklahoma football. You know, yeah, Barry, I mean, just I, to oh, sorry, go ahead, Jenny. No, I was just gonna say, I I wonder if, and I'm sure that the part of the reason why that that thinking is out there is that people think of Iowa State as Iowa State of the decades and decades of Iowa State, and not where they are right now, and Probably. where they are right. Where they are right now is a really good program. And, you know, you wrote, Barry, earlier this last week about Matt Campbell's influence and can they keep Matt Campbell and what could that mean for the longevity and the continued success of Iowa State football? And it's a big question. You know, they're, they're, they're going to have to, you know, probably hold their, hold their breath a, a few times as bigger programs can call them. Maybe not this year. You know, I don't know if the – I don't know if the, the coaching carousel really gets cracking because of, of COVID and, and all of the, you know, obviously Auburn is, is looking, but, you know, you just don't – I don't think there's going to be a ton of huge programs that are, are looking for coaches. And Matt Campbell can be – you know, he can be choosy. He can be picky about if he's moving. It's not just going to be a, a, a you know, lateral move. He's going to be able to go to a big-time school if he makes that move. But if he doesn't – Iowa State is seems like to me they've got a foundation right now to keep winning at a very high level for the next few years. And so I think, you know, if you're thinking of Iowa State as some, you know, 
uh, flash in the pan. Uh, this is not a flash in the pan. If, if they, if these guys, uh, if they can maintain some consistency with the coaching staff and, uh, you know, keep developing, they've got this, the same level of guys in the pipeline and they keep developing the way they've developed these guys. This is, you know, this could be the new, I don't know what K state in the big 12, the new Baylor in the big 12. I mean, we've had these upstart programs that go from, you know, not very good to pretty darn, pretty darn spectacular for a good five, six, uh, seasons. And, and this might just be where Iowa state is, uh, is getting out to. I yeah, thought, I, I, oh, go ahead, Barry. I was going to say the Cyclones, um, you know, I think they've got a decent shot at holding on to Matt Campbell for a while. Um, it clearly is sort of a, a, uh, a budding K-State. K-State held on to Bill Snyder for three decades. So it can be done. And the one thing long-term they have is, is K-State's problem, which is no fertile recruiting ground. But, you know, the world's getting smaller. Even people with great recruiting grounds like Oklahoma – has has expanded far beyond just the Southwest. Goes all over the country. So Matt Campbell will continue to do that. And I do think, at least for the foreseeable future, Iowa State's going to be a Big 12 force. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. And uh, Barry, one coach who's getting some attention for, for some of the jobs that are open is Alex Grinch. And uh, there's been talk of him getting an interview for Arizona. But uh, the job that he's done this year in, in turning around this defense, and, I mean, heck, you just look at the, the differences between the defense now and, and the defense when they played October 3rd in Ames. I mean, uh, obviously Ronnie Perkins was a big factor, but uh, Perry on Winfrey's playing so much better. Their offensive defensive line is, is much more disruptive and able to finish much more. And then building depth. Uh, all across the board, but especially in the secondary. And then uh, being able to defend a guy like Charlie Kolar on Saturday where they had so much problems with penalties and things like that uh, across, uh, all, all around the field in Ames. Uh, the secondary not called for a single penalty uh, in that game. I know Kolar put up some pretty impressive numbers with six catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown. But uh, a lot of positive signs uh, for, for Alex Wrench's defense. And the Sooners are going to have to hold on to uh, their hats a little bit to see if they can uh, keep Alex Wrench and Norman. Yeah, you know, I don't know if, uh, you know, Arizona came after an OU defensive coordinator once before, Mike Stoops. Would they do it again? Um, you know, I don't know. Southern Miss – has come after an OSU offensive coordinator twice in, in, in the last 15 years or so. So sometimes people do take a bite at the apple, a second bite at the apple like that. But clearly Alex Grinch has made a big difference. And um, uh, this defense was not very good early, but it's gotten better and it showed out uh, on a high, high level, I thought, Saturday, both with pass rush, with the run defense, with the pass coverage, the stat you just threw out, you, you mentioned it in the Sunday paper, the zero defensive penalties by that, by that defensive secondary. To me, that's the stat of the day um, because you almost just have to tackle Charlie Kolar when he comes off the line of scrimmage to stop him and 
they drew no flags. So that, I thought that was fantastic. And then they got two other guys that can do basically, maybe not quite what he can do, but pretty close to what he can do. That's a tough thing. When you look out there and you see those three tight ends, I know we've written about it. I know we've talked about it, but man, that's, that's tough. And for that OU defense to have handled them, um, not, not found themselves in crazy bad mismatches. I mean, that's, that's a, that can be a huge problem. You know, you can find yourself in a bad place um, with those tight ends. So I thought, yeah, I mean, Kolar was great. I thought he played well and, you know, being a local guy, obviously he was fired up a couple times. We saw him yakking at, uh, yakking at some Sooners, some Sooners yakking back at him. So uh, obviously, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of emotion there, but uh, yeah, that I thought, you know, I, I totally agree that the, uh, the secondary is an, it's, it's a continually improving area that defense but to me the thing that and we've talked about it but I don't think you can say it enough is that is that defensive front you know all these years that OU defensively has had you know its struggles and you know we've seen the points go up and the fans get mad and you know it to me that's been where you look and you just say you know man this was this was the unit that had you know however far back you want to go Gerald McCoy you know Tommy Harris uh, Tony Casillas, you know, just all the, the, the Selmans. I mean, you can historically go back and say, you know, the defensive line is where you can find as good a sooner, you know, depth of legends as anywhere. And they just didn't have, you know, anything approaching that. And now, you know, Ryan, you mentioned Perry on Winfrey earlier, obviously Perkins, Isaiah Thomas has been outstanding. But even on Saturday, guys, there were a couple of times I looked out there and there were some, you know, second – string guys that were playing some fairly significant snaps and making some plays. So to me, that says that, you know, not only do they have those frontline guys that are your stars and your standouts, but they're starting to, again, develop that depth and that talent on down the line. Uh, it's going to be that next wave, you know, it may not happen this year. It may not even happen right away next year, but those are some of the guys we'll be talking about in years to come. Yeah, they definitely seem better positioned uh, to, to restock at a at a few places, especially on the defensive line. I mean, heck, you look at uh, you know Stripling and and Josh Ellison, who's played a, a fair amount this year, and uh, several other guys who aren't starters but get uh, pretty significant uh, rotation minutes in there. Uh, you know, I think that speaks well for for the future even if a couple of those guys are probably going to be gone to the NFL uh, before too long when you talk about guys like Perkins and Winfrey, uh, guys like that. But certainly uh, much better there. Uh, Jenny, uh, what what'd you think about the uh, Iowa State fan contingent there? And, and what would it have been like had uh, we had a full complement of fans on Saturday at AT&T Stadium. It would have taken us a lot longer to get to the stadium, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, might have taken us a lot longer to get to Dallas, period, um, from the, you know, the convoy of uh, caravanning Cyclone fans coming down from Ames in the state of Iowa. Well, heck, it's yeah. bad enough when the uh, FCS championship is, is down in Frisco and there's – North Dakota State fans all over I-35. I can't imagine what it'd be like with the uh, Cyclones fans. 
Yeah, I, you know, I had, I, I think everyone sort of knew that they would be the dominant fan base. You know, it's first time in that game, first shot of the championship, conference championship since 1912, of course. I mean, even with COVID, they're going to get down there and, and, and cheer on their team. But, you know, in pregame, there wasn't a ton going on. It's You don't have the bands, and so there's no sort of anybody showing – you know, themselves, like, here we are, we're OU fans, here we are, we're I, you know, Iowa State fans. And then everybody's in red. But then the game starts, and it was obvious how many more Iowa State people there were there. Um, you know, I don't know, Ryan, I thought at least two to one uh, Iowa State to OU fans. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if it would have, I don't know if that percentage would have held if it was a full house um but it was that was that was pretty cool because you know for them it was all new I mean oh you people they're there every year you know they they get accustomed to you know here we are at Jerry World here we are on the Jumbotron you know I mean it's like it's okay it's the part of the deal but you know you could tell Iowa State people were fired up so that was it was pretty cool to see and yeah I, it, it was a very large number Barry you wrote about some of their fans uh, a week ago and how it just, it's, it's too bad that their, their, their first big year in quite a while is the COVID year and fans not getting to enjoy this the way that they would otherwise. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if um, it had been a normal year, um, I think Iowa state would have had 40,000 people in Arlington. The, uh, they had 30,000 at the Alamo bowl last year. Yeah. And, this was a this was a bigger game. This was the biggest game in Iowa State football history, and you know got a bunch of great great fans just dying for success, starving for success, and they would have, you know, I I was told that I don't know I don't know what you're estimating. What we had, so we're saying there's about ten thousand, twelve thousand maybe Iowa State fans there, whatever it was. I was told that many more than that were actually in Dallas yeah. and just went down for the festivities and couldn't, um, you know, couldn't get in the stadium. But it was a special, special day for Iowa State football. There's not any question about that. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, like uh, Jenny talked about earlier, how they're able to build off of this and maintain it moving forward, especially if they're able to hold on to Matt Campbell. but. Uh, let's turn our attention to the bowl now. Uh, Barry, one team in this Cotton Bowl comes in with a, a quarterback who's a Heisman Trophy caliber and likely going to be in New York here, uh, I guess it's in January now, uh, with a fan base who's fed up with their defense, their defensive coordinator, to the point where their coach had to answer a question about whether their defensive coordinator would even still be be around yep. uh, for the bowl game. And that team is the SEC team in, in this bowl matchup, uh, not Oklahoma. <laughs> well, uh, what goes around comes around. It is nuts. Um, you know, to me, it's a great matchup for Oklahoma. I'm not talking about whether they win it or not. I don't know what will happen there. But this is a uh, – it's a great chance for Oklahoma to sort of stand up on the pedestal and say, hey, 
We've been telling you we were back defensively. We've been telling you we play good defense. We showed it down the stretch, showed it against Iowa State, and now here 11 days after Florida puts up 46 on Alabama, we get our turn at that same offense. So, um, you know, if the Sooners can play some reasonably good D against Florida, it enhances Alex Grinch's reputation. It enhances this new-look Oklahoma. It fortifies the confidence that's been building. I just think it was an excellent, excellent matchup, uh, much more than if you played Texas A&M. A&M would be hard to beat, but A&M doesn't have this kind of offense. If you beat A&M or lose to them, doesn't matter, 17 to 14, nobody's going to be saying, ah, look at that OU defense. They're going to be saying, well, A&M never has had much of an offense since Johnny Manziel left. That's not the case with Florida. Florida went up and down the field in Alabama. So prime opportunity for this Oklahoma defense. I, you, do you guys have a, a good sense of how uh... – I've watched a, a hair of Florida this year, but I haven't – I don't think I've watched a full game. Obviously, our Saturdays are a little muddy for that. But do you guys have a sense of, of how Kyle Pitt's departure will impact things? Obviously, I mean, a lot of people think he's the best tight end in college football. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that he's the best tight end in college football. You know, if – if uh, you know, uh, I'm completely blanking on his name, Alabama's receiver – um, Devonte Smith, he may win the Heisman. If yeah, I I'm, I was I I lost his last name. I wanted to say Devonte Adams, and I knew that wasn't right. There's uh, another one of those. Oh, he's better than Devonte Adams. Well, yeah. Um, but if I watched if, them both, I if, watched them both last night. If Devonte Smith wasn't putting up the just absolutely absurd numbers that he is, like you said, uh, a Heisman contender. Kyle Pitts would be the first uh, tied in to win the Bolitnikoff. Mm. And he's, he's the best player on that offense and uh, uh, you know, one of uh, the most dynamic players in college football. And he's got the same size that Charlie Kolar has, a little bit more athletic, I think. Uh, but uh, he's been phenomenal this year. And not to have him in the bowl game, he announced that he's going to not only uh, – uh, defer or uh, not uh, go back to Florida for a senior year, but he's not going to participate in the bowl game and go ahead and start getting ready for the NFL draft. That's a uh, certainly a break for the Sooners, but Florida's offense has plenty of other weapons around him. And Kyle Trask uh, might have the best story this side of Baker Mayfield as far as his path uh, to being a big-time starting quarterback at, at this level. Um, at the risk of debunking anything you said, I don't mean to do that. But <laughs> I watched the whole game last. I watched the whole game last night, Alabama, Florida, and Pitts was really good. He's a great player, but I thought Grimes, their wide receiver, was the guy that I came away thinking, "Holy crap, that's a guy you got to deal with." Huh. And the Florida looked about as good as Alabama at receiver, and um, I. I was really impressed with the Alabama, with the Florida offense, just in totality. Not just Pitts, not just Trask, not just Grimes, but they got a bunch of. They got you know what? They look a little bit like the like Lincoln in seventeen and eighteen teams, where it didn't really matter who they threw the ball to or who they handed off to. Hmm. Um, 
everybody was doing stuff with it. So um, I think there'll be a really, really tough test for Alex Grinch. Uh, but you know what? Let me tell you a team that has a lot of weapons, and that's Iowa State. I mean, uh, yes, Brees Hall's, uh, you know, the leading rusher in America. Xavier, uh, Xavier uh, Hutchinson was a big-time playmaker on the wideout, plus all those tight ends. And the Sooners held up well against them. So, to me, it's just a great opportunity. That Florida offense is for real. And if you do a reasonable, reasonably good job against them, then that stock just goes up, up, up on the Oklahoma defense. Yeah, I, I uh, don't think there's any doubt about it. This is certainly a game that has a chance to raise uh, Alex Grinch's profile even higher than it is Ronnie Perkins and that defensive line and, and all the other uh, – Nick Benito, uh, certainly Perrion Winfrey, uh, those guys. But they're going to have to lock down on Florida's receivers. Even without Pitts, uh, they have a really deep uh, group there and are able to, to hurt you in a lot of ways, which is why uh, that defensive front is going to have to be disruptive. Uh, get after Kyle Trask and not give him time uh, to find guys like Tony and Grimes uh, deep down the field. Hey, Ryan, I, I, and something I hadn't given much thought to, but as we're talking about pits, it, it springs to mind. Um, I haven't gotten the sense that any Sooners are thinking about leaving early, not playing in the bowl game. Quick turnaround. I, I assume if that was going to happen, we would probably hear about it fairly quickly. But if that happens, I, I mean, that obviously changes a lot. And in, in a year of, you know, COVID and guys, uh, you know, making decisions sort of, you know, randomly on a Tuesday or whatever, I guess it could happen. But I really haven't heard anything like that. And, I mean, maybe you have or maybe you suspect there might be uh, a couple or one or two or something. But um, it seems like, we're, you know, they're not asking guys to stick around for three weeks. I mean, this is going to – Bull week, it's going to be time to play here before we know it. Yeah, I mean, heck, we're only uh, uh, 10 days away here from the game. So I, I think that's going to maybe lessen the impact of something like that. OU's been pretty lucky in that regard. Of course, when you're in the playoffs most years, it's a lot easier to hold on to your guys uh, th than when you're not. Um, uh, you know, Tanner Mordecai announced today that he's going to enter the transfer portal the normal uh, protocol for Lincoln Riley is once you say you're in the portal, that's it. Uh, you know, we wish you luck, but uh, we'll be all right without you. Now, the sense I get is that uh, they're okay rolling with Chandler Morris as their number two guy. I mean, heck, they threw him on the field, uh, you know, early in the game uh, on Saturday and felt comfortable enough doing that. He scored him a touchdown. Um, By the way, uh, I don't know if you heard this, Ryan. You were you were on the coach's uh, call, but uh, <laughs> Spencer Rattler said on that play he was supposed to limp off, and uh, I don't. I did not see any limping. He needs to be a little more obvious if they're going to try to pull some sort of <laughs> some sort of fake injury to the quarterback next time. Because I just I looked up and there was not only you know not only was Chandler Morris out there, but so was Seth Seth McGowan, and I thought. Wait, where did these guys come from? <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually going to ask this when we were talking about the game earlier. Uh, Barry, worst acting job, Spencer Rattler on that play or Reeves Munchow trying to sell the uh, roughing the, the kicker call? He did get a running into the kicker call, drew that, and it was valid, but he tried to sell it into something more than it was. 
Um, Reeves Munchau looked worse because Ola Rattler actually did grab his hamstring. And he was standing over there. The problem was he had a big smile on his face. And you could tell anybody that was around him knew it was fake. Um, So he had, but, but Reeves Munchau, he ate a sand, he, you know, he, he kicked the ball, ate a sandwich, then the guy hit his leg and he thought, Oh, I better fall down. So, you know, but I think that was a kick. Is that the kick he put at the one yard line or the two? Yeah. Yeah, The two. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it it was his finest hour and his least finest hour all at once. (laughs) He said on Twitter today that he wanted everybody to know he was fine. He'd had ice and stem treatment, and he was, he's recovering well. <laughs> nice. Oh, a, a comedy man. <laughs> but, uh, Jenny, to go back to your question earlier, uh, Lincoln Riley actually got asked that today uh, on the Zoom, and he said he hadn't got a chance to talk to his players. They had today off. Uh, for just did some treatment, things like that, but uh, didn't get together with his players in an organized fashion. And uh, he, he didn't know of any players that were going to opt out, but he figured that that would be a conversation uh, for, for uh, Monday and Tuesday for sure. But I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue. Um, well, who, let me ask you, who are the NFL prospects on this team? Who's going to go in the draft anyway? Uh, Perkins, Stevenson. Yeah. Those are guys, Perkins said it last week, he wants to get as much tape on tape as he can. He hasn't got to play enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, now Creed Humphrey will be in the draft. Creed strikes me as a guy that will, you know, play every second he can until he's gone. I think he takes that captaincy fairly serious. Um, I don't know if there's a ton of other NFL-level guys headed for the 2021 draft. So – you know, it pretty it might be fairly minimal in terms of the opt outs for the bowl game. Yeah, I I would agree with that uh, for the for the reasons you mentioned, Barry. I mean, the obvious ones uh, in what a normal type of season would have been Perkins and Stevenson, yeah. but with the suspensions for them cutting their season short, uh, I think those guys, especially against a team like Florida, want to put as much on film as possible. So. Uh, I let don't me ask you, let me ask you this. Impact. How about Perrion Winfrey? Perrion Winfrey would be the one that maybe uh, you wouldn't be surprised if he decided to pull the trigger. Um, but again, he's only got one year in major college and his right. You know, it was it was ten and games were, and one of them was Missouri State. So he might say, you know what, I'm going to go pro, but I want to go play against Florida. Yeah, and there were questions about his motor coming into the year, and and he had a little bit of a slow start to the year. But, uh, you know, really from that Texas game where he had the block, block kick and uh, the block field goal and was really disruptive on the defensive line, from that point forward, he's been absolutely fantastic for them. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did opt out, but uh, for the reasons you mentioned, uh, I would lean toward him staying and uh, uh, playing out this game and wanting to get as much on film uh, as possible uh, as he prepares for what's certainly going to be a, an entry into the NFL draft this year. And just just real quick, I, we hadn't uh, touched on it much at all. Uh, I wrote about this some, but uh, Kyle Trask's backstory is really interesting to me just because uh, he, until last year, hadn't started a game at quarterback since he was a high school freshman 
went to the same uh, high school in Texas as, as De'Eric King and also the same high school as Corey Roberson, the uh, Oklahoma uh, redshirt freshman defensive lineman. But uh, for Kyle Trask to hang in there like he did at Manville and not transfer when he certainly could have um, played behind Derek King. Now, he got a lot of playing time in high school. It wasn't like he was, uh, you know, coming in to mop up games in the fourth quarter. Uh, to do that and then go to Florida, sign in the same class as Felipe Franks. Felipe Franks has a solid career. Never quite works out for Trask to, to take over. Uh, even though he had a couple opportunities, he was hurt uh, both those times. Last year earns the starting job and, and just evolves into a star this year uh, as a starter. Pretty incredible to, to note his path uh, to Florida for sure. Yeah, well, that's interesting. The OU and OSU are playing high school teammates quarterbacks. Yeah. Derek King's <laughs> now the quarterback down at Miami. So that is a crazy story. Um, I still don't know how the guy got a scholarship. That's that well, boggles my mind. Of, of yeah, the, apparently uh, the coach at Manville, his son was a, a pretty high-level offensive lineman and had been recruited by several SEC programs, including Alabama, where uh, uh, Nussmeyer uh, was down there. And uh, Nussmeyer had gotten to know Manville's coach pretty well. The coach's son ultimately decides to go to Texas A&M, but they kept a relationship. So when Randy Shannon, uh, you know, a guy that we've been familiar with, we've seen him around, was Miami's uh, former head coach. Randy Shannon was coaching at Florida, uh, comes recruiting to Manville, and uh, the coach there says, hey, have Nussmeyer give me a call. I got him a quarterback that he needs to take a look at. Because of that former relationship, uh, Nussmeyer actually does it flies out to, to Texas and realizes, hey, this kid's pretty good. He got some looks from, uh, you know, Houston Baptist and, and some lower-level teams, some FCS Division II teams. But Florida pulls the trigger and offers him. And then all of a sudden, other people start figuring out, hey, this guy's pretty good. But uh, Kyle Trask decides to be loyal, uh, commits to Florida really early in the process after uh, the, the offer and uh, sticks with it uh, despite a lot of other programs calling. So uh, an interesting find for, for the Gators and a product of uh, the former coaching staff that Dan Mullen's got to be really thrilled work, worked out the way it did. You know, guys, I was listening to – I mentioned riding home last night, listening to some of the, the, the uh, evening games, which included that SEC game. Uh, at one point, the radio uh, commentators were talking about that uh, Alabama was getting up to the line so fast that the Florida defense was having trouble getting set. And I was just reminded, <laughs> it wasn't so long ago that our good buddy Nick Saban was against all this offensive firepower. Now it's Alabama and Florida. And obviously, you know, the two Mississippi schools have high hopes of, of that sort of thing too. It's just, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see uh, all, those, all those Big 12 scores now in the SEC. Yeah, it's certainly become a different world down there. I mean, you just look at the score of, of Saturday night's game and uh, and also, again, the uh, social media reactions from both sides, but especially the Florida fans who were none too happy uh, <laughs> with their defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham, 
during that game. Um, it, it's crazy how much things uh, sort of get turned on their head when we're talking about uh, the SEC putting up video game numbers and uh, OU playing really good defense and, and helping bail out their offense uh, for the second straight game. But uh, we'll wrap it up there on the Sooners Extra podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back uh, from AT&T Stadium in the Cotton Bowl here in uh, 10 days, I guess, uh, where Oklahoma uh, takes on Florida. Thanks so much for joining us. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere.